the Lord in that way. I think he is pleased when we do that. And we bow our hearts, but even our own bodies, uh, bow the knee. Uh, one day, everybody's going to bow the knee. And so you might should get used to it <laughs> and get ready for it. Well, if you would take your Bibles at this time and turn to the Gospel of Mark, Mark in chapter 10. Uh, we're still in Mark chapter 10. Uh, we're not going to finish Mark chapter 10 today, uh, but uh, we're going to look at a good chunk of Scripture, a good portion of Mark chapter 10. And as you're finding Mark chapter 10, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, Mark chapter 10, we're going to read verses 35 down through verse 45. So Mark 10, 35 through 45. The Word of God says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, We can. Jesus said unto them, well, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with all, or with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray together one more time. Lord, we are grateful for your goodness. And thank you for your word. And Lord, now as we turn, your, turn our attention to you and to your word, that Lord, you might speak to our hearts. And I pray that, again, you'd help us to be good hearers, but also good doers of what we hear. I pray, Lord, that you would save the lost and encourage your people and meet our needs as only you can. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The title of the message this morning is Purging Pride. Now, as most of us know, June is called Pride Month all over the world. Companies big and small have changed their logos and profile pictures to celebrate this month when those living in an ungodly lifestyle flaunt and boast of their sin and wickedness. And just to be clear this morning, according to the Word of God, homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, bisexuality, and the queer lifestyles are all an affront and an abomination to Almighty God. That's kind of a fine way to start a sermon, isn't it? <laughs> but it needs to be said. The Bible still says in Leviticus 18.22, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Now that is not to say that those involved in that lifestyle can't be saved from that life of sin. See, many of the believers in the church of Corinth were 
in that lifestyles, in those lifestyles. And, 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 and the Bible says that they were not anymore, and such were some of you, and they had come out of that by the grace of God, and they were trophies of God's grace. And for those who would say, well, they were born that way, well, our message to them is, you must be born again. Uh, that's what we need. Uh, so there, there are those who are proud of their sin and want to flaunt it uh, this month. But there's another group of proud individuals. I read about a self-righteous man who once boasted to a friend of his. You know, John, I'm not such a bad fellow. There are many worse than I. His friend replied, Ivor, that's an interesting name, uh, you are measuring yourself by the wrong standard. You measure yourself by the harlots and drunkards you see on Skid Row, and you feel quite satisfied by comparison. But go and measure yourself alongside Jesus Christ and see how you make out. See, no person's life cuts much of a figure when placed alongside the perfect life of our Savior. The life of the Lord Jesus shows how crooked and defiled our own lives really are. It's no wonder God says there is none righteous, no, not one. So we better be careful today about getting too much of a critical spirit towards those who are proud of their sin. Because you see, pride isn't just a problem with the unsaved. Christians struggle with it too. And here in our text, as I read through verses 35 through verse 45, uh, we see here uh, that even the disciples who were in the inner circle struggled with pride. They were guilty of pride. Remember, the, uh, the, the disciples, there were 12 of them, and they were in three different categories. We have the eight were uh, the, you know, the Thomas and the Bartholomew and, and, uh, and, and, the, and the Levi and Matthew and, and some of the ones who uh, weren't so part of the inner core. And then we have Peter, James, and John. They were in the inner circle. And then we have uh, Judas, who was the counterfeit disciple. But obviously, we want to be part of the committed. We want to be part of the uh, inner circle. And, and yet, even those in the inner circle struggled and were guilty uh, with pride. And we need to remember this morning that God hates pride. Proverbs 6, 16, this see, These six things that the Lord hate... Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, and he proceeds to give the list of the things that he hates. The first thing on the list was a proud, or a proud look. So God hates pride. Proverbs 8, verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And he says, Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. So God, as we have in our memory verse for this month, resists the proud but giveth grace to the humble. And so here we have uh, the disciples who are displaying some pride. And, and if there's one good thing about the disciples and their display of pride is that as a result, we learn some very important lessons about purging pride in our own lives. So uh, let's walk through this passage today and learn how we can purge our own pride because guess what? I believe all of us struggle with it from time to time. Let's notice, first of all, this morning, the expression of self. In verse number 35, it says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall ask, we shall desire. So they began to, they, they, they kind of raised their hand and said, hey, we have a question. We have something we want, and, and can you give it to us? 
Well, Jesus is like, okay, well, what is it? And, and they said, well, we want to have the best and the first position in glory. We want to be exalted. We want to be elevated. And so can you go ahead and uh, grant us our request? So these two men, and just to give us a reminder of the context here, these two men were in the inner circle of Jesus, and they had just heard him teach about the truth of the, of the last being first and the first being last in verse number 31. Then they heard him share, as we looked at last Sunday, about what he would do for them and how he would uh, be sentenced to die and that he would suffer and that he would be sacrificed and that he would be successful in the resurrection. And you would think this would, be, this would trigger a very somber response, a quiet contemplation, a serious atmosphere. But in the midst of this determined walk that Jesus was taking, these two men pipe up and ask a question. Now, we learned from Matthew's account that it was their mother who pushed this question. Do you remember that? It was kind of, they were like mama's boys over here, and mommy kind of steps in, and, and, uh, and I'm not sure exactly if it was mom who asked this or, 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 or the boys, uh, but uh, Mark records the boys said it. And it. It doesn't really matter. The question got asked, and, um, and, and, and no doubt mom wanted the best for her boys. But, but here the boys were, were like, yeah, what, what, can we be like in the best seat? You know, it's, it's almost like when, when a group of friends is walking to the car and one yells out, shotgun, right? Dibs on shotgun. Uh, they want to be in the first. They don't want to, they want to be the one in control of the temp and, uh, and the sound and all that. They want to be, and, and that's what James and John, they wanted to be in that position. Um, now, we know that their mom's name was Salome, and it seems that she was a sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ. And so on the human level, that meant that these two men, James and John, uh, were the cousins of Jesus Christ. And they thought, well, hey, we've got kind of like a family bond here, so surely he'll let us be in the best position. And uh, they did have some nerve to ask this question of Jesus to desire to be first and best and to have the best place. But they weren't the only ones to express pride and elevate self in this passage. Because after, he, after they asked this question, Jesus um, goes through and asks them if they're able to drink of the cup and to be baptized with the baptism that he would be baptized with. And, and they said, yep, yep. And he says, okay, you're going to do it. But to sit on my right hand is not mine to give. And then verse 41, did you catch this as we read it the mo uh, a few moments ago? It says, when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. So James and John, they expressed themselves. And then now the ten begin to express themselves too. The other ten were upset at James and John. And the Bible says here that they were much displeased with them. And in Matthew's record, it says they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Why? Well, was it because they were so mad at them for asking such a selfish question? Or maybe they were mad because they didn't think of the question first. They're like, no, I deserve dibs on shotgun. 
I deserve that spot because of all of my sacrifice and what I gave up. And Matthew may have said, hey, I gave up a very lucrative career to follow you. I deserve that spot. And and, and Peter said, what are you talking about? I'm the guy that always says stuff. I'm the spokesman. I should get it because I've been rebuked so much. uh, The Lord should reward me with that spot. And so they began to be Uh, again, much displeased and move with indignation against them. See, I believe they wanted that position. They also wanted to be first. You may have heard the story of two friends who met for dinner in a restaurant and each requested a filet of fish. and, And after a few minutes, the waiter came back with their order. Two pieces of fish, a large piece and a small piece were on the same platter. Well, one of the men proceeded to serve his friend and placing the small piece on a plate, he handed it across the table and gave the small piece to his friend. Well, you certainly do have nerve, exclaimed his friend. What's troubling you, asked the other. Well, look what you've done, he answered. You've given me the little piece and kept the big one for yourself. The other guy said, well, how would you have done it? The man asked. His friend replied, well, if I were serving, I would have given you the big piece. Well, replied the man, I've got it, haven't I? (laughs) So what's the problem here? (laughs) Look, there's something in human nature that desires to be first, to have the biggest and to have the best. When our kids were smaller, and we still do this from time to time, Uh, But whenever we would give our kids a donut, we're like, they don't need an entire donut. That's just too much sugar for them. We don't need to give them the whole thing. So we're going to split it. And so we would split it. And, of course, they always kind of compared the two pieces, and, you know, they wanted the bigger piece. And so finally I thought, you know what, we're going to try something here. We're going to have them, one split it, and the other gets to pick. And so the one splitting is very careful to try to make sure it's like perfectly even because knowing that the other person is going to pick, they're going to want to pick the biggest piece. So they're really careful as they split it. And so that's helped a little bit. Still hasn't caught, it still hasn't removed all uh, arguments, but, uh, but it's helped a little bit. But, but look, we, we desire right to have the most to be first. You know, when the, when the pizza box gets open, I want to have the first pick of the piece, the one with the most cheese and the most toppings, that's the one I want. And and, and human nature says that, and we don't want to step aside and and let somebody else go, and you can have the best, you can have the first. But yet in the scriptures, we're called to uh, not think of ourselves, but to consider others. Hard to do. Look, this desire to express self goes all the way back to the beginning of time, When Lucifer, uh, God's most beautiful creature, creation, Isaiah 14 records the event when he uh, began to desire to express and elevate himself. Here's what the Bible says about that event. He says, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? 
For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. He began to elevate himself and say, hey, I want to be in that spot. And here's what the Bible says after that. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. You can go ahead and try to elevate yourself, but God says, no, I resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. We know that pride brings destruction in our lives. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Maybe you've heard the story of the two ducks and a frog who lived happily together in a farm pond. They were the best of friends, these two ducks and a frog. The three would amuse themselves and play together in their water hole. But when the hot summer days came, however, the pond began to dry up. And soon it was evident they would have to move, find another place. Well, this was no problem at all for the ducks who could easily fly to another pond. The frog was stuck. So it was decided that they would put a stick in the bill of each duck the frog could hang on to with his mouth as they flew to another pond. The plan worked well, so well, in fact, that as they were flying along, a farmer looked up in admiration and mused, well, isn't that a clever idea? I wonder who thought of it. And the frog, wanting to elevate self, said, I did, and fell down. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. There was a man by the name of Tancredo Neves, who ran for the presidency of Brazil in the 1980s. He boldly declared that if he got 500,000 votes from his own party, not even God could keep him from being president. He won the election, but one day later he got sick and died. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's not just for a frog, and that's not just for an unsaved president wannabe. That's for us, too. We need to make sure that we're not trying to elevate self like the, the, the two men here, and really all 12 of them were doing it, the expression of self. And because pride causes so much trouble, it needs to be purged in our lives. And so how does Jesus handle this? Well, he gives them, secondly, the explanation of sacrifice. In verse number 38, as they request that they would be in that position to sit one on the right hand, another on the left hand, and I glory, Jesus explains what that sacrifice is going to look like. This isn't just, yeah, sure, no problem, we'll, we'll give you that position. No, there's some... Re there, there, there's some sacrifice that's needed to take place here. Verse 38, you know not what you ask. You have no idea what you're asking. Can you really drink of the cup that I drink of? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Look, I'm sure they didn't completely understand with all that, what all that entailed. They were like, they're listening to that, and they're like, no biggie. And they were quick to agree. Look at verse number 39. They said unto him, we can Yeah, sure, wh whatever, as, as long as we can be elevated and have the best position, as long as we can have shotgun and glory, we don't care, it doesn't matter, sure, whatever, that's fine. 
But the Lord then explains that they will indeed endure sacrifice. In verse 39, it says, they said unto him, we can. Yeah, no biggie. And Jesus said unto them, well, you shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with, all, with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall you be baptized. You are going to experience some sacrifice. And you know what? They did. As you trace through the Bible and through history, you do trace and see that they did experience tremendous sacrifice. James would become the first of the twelve who were martyred for the faith. Here's what the Bible simply says about what happened to James. Acts 12 and verse 1 says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. That's all it says. So James did get to experience some sacrifice. He was killed and paid the ultimate price. He drank of the cup that Jesus drank of, and he was baptized with the baptism Jesus was baptized with. He was killed. Okay, what about John? What happened to him? Well, actually, he was the only one of the 12 who was not killed for the faith. So somehow he escaped the sacrifice, right? Well, not exactly. John was exiled to the island of Patmos, and Patmos was a small, rocky, and barren area where Many criminals of Rome were sent to serve out their prison terms in harsh conditions. There were mines on the island that the criminals were forced to work in. John was sent to the island because the early Christians were considered a strange cult group who were known for causing trouble within the empire, and they sent him there to suffer as a criminal. And some historians say that he was boiled in oil and did not die because of that, but continued serving the Lord. And was given poison as part of his suffering and still didn't die because of that. So even though John wasn't killed for the faith, he did experience tremendous suffering. A different type of sacrifice, but a sacrifice still. So these men endured difficult sacrifice, but let's look what verse number 40 says. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but should be given to them for whom it is prepared. So these men endured difficult sacrifice, but uh, not promised that they would get to sit in that coveted position, that God the Father would alone assign that. Now, what does that all have to do with us? This sacrifice that James and John would have to endure, what does it have to do with us? Well, I will say this, that sometimes, sometimes, we go through times of sacrifice in order to purge our pride. God allows us to go through times where we are going to sacrifice in order to humble us. If you would turn to keep your place here in Mark 10, but go to 2 Corinthians 12. You see, this happened to the 12 disciples, or two disciples. They experienced sacrifice in order to humble them, in order to say, hey, look, it's not about the position, it's about... Uh, serving the Lord, and it's about being humble. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So it happened to the two disciples, but it also happened to the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 7. Let's pick it up in verse number 6, actually. For though I would desire to glory, 
I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure. Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. That phrase, uh, lest I should be exalted above measure, is mentioned twice in that one verse alone. And it's because of that sacrifice that he had to go through. This thorn in the flesh. And uh, verse number 8 says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me, and he did not get it taken away from him. He continued to have to deal with this thorn in the flesh, and he recognized the purpose for it was to keep him humble. So again, sometimes God allows us to go through times of sacrifice and hardship to keep us humble and to perhaps purge some pride that might be in our hearts and lives. Okay, you can flip back to Mark chapter number 10. As we look at our country, and again, with the pride of sin and the sin of pride, I can't help but think that maybe that's why we're beginning to see signs of sacrifice coming down the road. The rising gas prices. Brother Ted and I, we, were, we saw each other at 7-Eleven last night. I was getting me a root beer, and they were getting some icy. Okay. So good, great minds think alike, and so do ours. And he yelled at me. He said, hey, pray that the gas prices go down. And I was like, amen, that's a great prayer request. And gas prices are going up, and it's going to start affecting things, as you all know. Look, the food shortages that are perhaps coming, the formula shortage, the hyper-fragile economy. And I know we all have the answer, right? It's Joe Biden's fault. Well, I would partially say amen to that. No. <laughs> Is it Joe Biden's fault? I'm not here to defend Mr. Biden today, but I am asking, could it be that God is allowing some of these things to happen in our nation right now in order to humble us? Could it be? It may be that he is going to allow us to experience sacrifice in order to purge our pride as a sin or as a nation. Because we, right now, are flaunting our sin, and we're proud of it. He does that in nations, but sometimes he does that in our own lives, too. Just ask Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most powerful man in the world at the time, and he became as a beast of the field and was forced to eat grass like an oxen. And it worked. Daniel 4.34 said, and at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose uh, dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. That was quite a statement for the man who thought he was everything. Nebuchadnezzar built this huge statue and caused everybody to bow down and worship it whenever the music began to play. You remember the story. And now he says, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. 
God had to allow him to go through suffering and sacrifice in order to purge the pride from his life. So sometimes that happens in our lives as well. Not every trial or tribulation that we go through is to humble us, but that should be a question that we should ask when we're going through a trial. Lord, do you need to purge some pride in my life? And then we can humble ourselves rather than having God humble it, humble us himself. Um, I would rather humble myself than uh, have God humble me. But either way, we're going to be humbled. Either way, we're going to be brought down. And if you do it yourself, then he exalts those who are humble. But he resists the proud. He brings those who think they're all that, and he brings them down low. So sacrifice purged the pride of Nebuchadnezzar and of James and John as well. And many times that happens in our life. So there was an explanation of sacrifice. But then notice, uh, thirdly here, there was also the expectation of service. Verse number 42, Jesus called them to him. Again, remember the context here in verse 41. When the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. So this was not just this little rolling the eyes Oh, there they go asking this question. I should have asked it first. There was some serious conflict and drama going on here. I mean, the drama was thick. And the, there was some serious disagreement here. Again, Matthew records there were, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. And so there was this big conflict of drama going on about who would get to sit in those spots. And I like what verse 42, but Jesus called them to him. What did they need in that moment? They didn't need the whip. They needed to get close to Jesus, and then that was going to fix a lot. What do we need most when we have a rotten, stinking, bad attitude? We need to get close to Jesus. And that's what Jesus did. He called them to him. And then saith unto them, ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles, they exercise lordship over them. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. He says, you know how it works. You know the chain of command and the chain of authority how, out in the world and the lost people. They know that there's all these people who have all these authority and they control and demand and, and rule. But verse 43, but so shall it not be among you. Whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. Whosoever you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. You see, in, in the world's eyes, those who are great have a lot of people serving them. But God says, no, 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 that's not the way it works with me. The way it works with me is not having so many people that serve you, but how many people you are serving. Big difference. The greatest person in this room today, Cornerstone Baptist Church, is not the one who has everybody doing all their stuff for them. It's the one who's being willing to be a servant, to give a cup of cold water in his name to someone who can't do anything for you. That's the greatest person in this room, not the one with the most talent. I used to tell our teenagers when I was a youth pastor, when they were so into video games, I said, hey, the greatest in our youth group is not the one who has the highest score in whatever video game and has the biggest thumb muscles because of all this, you know, 
video game stuff. That's not the greatest. The greatest in this in our youth group is not the one who's best at basketball, because we all know that's me. Uh, not the most handsome, because again, you know that's me. Not the one with the most hair. Okay, well, I don't qualify for that one. The greatest in our youth group is the one who's willing to serve, willing to go up to uh, one of our senior citizens and, and talk to them and be a blessing to them. One to, to go up to a little child and, and, and be a blessing to them and talk to them. The, those are the, that's the greatest in our youth group. That's what I would say to them. I'm saying that to you now. To the teenagers and to our church family. The greatest in our church isn't the one who has the most money. Not the one who has the most ability or talent when it comes to even serving the Lord. No, the one, the greatest in, the, in, in God's kingdom and in our church is the one who's willing to just serve without having any recognition, without going, well, and pastor never says thank you to me. Well, you, you, you just want your earthly reward. The, the one who wants the heavenly reward is willing to serve without being recognized. So shall it not be among you. Let's not have that be said about us, that we think we need to be somebody. No, you don't need to be somebody. You need to be a servant. See, Jesus shares the expectation that a followers would not seek to have authority or have high position, but they would seek to be servants. Years ago, the Salvation Army was holding an international convention, and their founder, General William Booth, perhaps you've heard of him, he couldn't attend that convention because of his physical weakness at the time. And so he was supposed to give this big speech and keynote address at this convention, but he couldn't attend. So he instead cabled his convention message to them, and it was simply one word, the word others. And that's what he wanted the Salvation Army to be about, others. Galatians 5 and verse 13, Paul says, For brethren, you have not been, or you've been called into liberty. Use, only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. 1 John 3 and verse number 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And, and then we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Hereby we know that we are of truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Look, we're to, we're to be servants to one another. And that will purge our pride when we just get over ourselves and say, hey, I'm willing to do something. It will be a blessing to others, whether they thank me for it or not. If I get a thank you note or not, if I get a gift card or not, it doesn't matter. I'm going to serve anyway. During the American Revolution, a man in civilian clothes rode past a group of soldiers repairing a small defensive barrier. And their leader was shouting instructions, but making no attempt to help them. The rider coming by on, in civilian clothes asked, um, asked why that was going on and, uh, and why this guy wasn't willing to help. And uh, this leader retorted with great dignity, Sir, I am a corporal. Stranger apologized, I'm sorry, dismounted and proceeded to help the exhausted soldiers. 
And once the job was done, he turned to the corporal and said, Mr. Corporal, next time you have a job like this and not enough men to do it, go to your commander-in-chief and I will come and help you again. Because it was none other than George Washington himself. See, George Washington understood the principle of being a servant. And Cornerstone Baptist Church, let's not be like that corporal who's like, hey, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I shouldn't have to do that. Hey, I'm the pastor. I shouldn't have to do that. Hey, I'm a deacon. I shouldn't have to do... No, no, no. All of us need to be willing to serve and to do the lowly things. That's going to help purge our pride is if we get this idea of servitude. So one great way to purge pride from our lives is to humbly serve others. But then how else can we purge sin of pride from our lives? Firstly, notice that we are to consider the example of the Savior. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So as Jesus gives them the expectation of service, once again, he's not telling them to do something he wasn't first willing to do himself. In fact, no one ever served quite like Jesus before or since. He was and is the ultimate example of servanthood. Philippians 2 and verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a king. Some of you are like, amen. No, that's not what that verse says. He took upon the form of a servant. was made in the likeness of men being found as in fashion as a man he humbled himself he didn't elevate himself he didn't express self he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross and jesus here said for even the son of man came not to be ministered unto Friend, if anyone deserved to be ministered unto, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He's the creator. He's God in human flesh. He was deity, robed in humanity, and perfect in every way. He was the trice, thrice holy God. He is the king of kings, Lord of lords. He is the first and the last, the sinless lamb of God and the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the son of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And yet he came to serve. He came to be a servant. He deserved for everybody as he walked to just honestly fall down before, before him and say, oh, God, I worship you. That's what he deserved. That's not what he did. He came to serve. In what ways was he a servant? Well, he came, came to help others by providing and meeting their needs. He met the need for physical help by providing physical healing. Remember, he gave sight to the blind. He caused the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, and he raised the dead. He cast out devils. I say that's helpful. All of those things. And in the book of John, we learn that Jesus got a towel and a basin and proceeded to wash the dirty disciples' feet in the upper room after he served the bread and the cup. But the greatest way he served was in verse 45 when it says, Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And here's the greatest way he came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many.
as Jesus laid down his life on Calvary's cross and suffered and died for our sin, this would become the greatest act of service in history before or since. And when the Lord of life would taste death for every man, that would be the greatest act of sacrifice and service so that we could be set free, so that we could be ransomed so that we could be set free from the bondage of our sin and from the condemnation and judgment that we all deserve because of our sin. He came to pay the price for us. That would be the greatest act of service ever. So he is the example of service. Timothy McVeigh, he's a name that most Oklahomans do not like to hear. And on Wednesday night, Brother Zach Shives used that as an illustration, and I'm going to as well. Timothy McVeigh was executed for bombing the federal building in Oklahoma. And in his execution, he didn't speak any final words. But he did have a handwritten statement distributed as, at his execution, which included portions of the poem Invictus. And if you go to the memorial... These words are displayed in, on a frame at the end of the, at the tour. And here's what he wrote. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate, and I am the captain of my soul. Here's a man who had pride. And he needed to humble himself. I don't know that he did before he passed from this life to the next. But you and I have a choice today. Pride keeps a sinner from acknowledging he is wrong. See, first we need to humble ourselves and realize that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And praise the Lord, there is a Savior. Jesus Christ lived a perfect and sinless life, then was crucified on the cross where he died for our sin, then he was buried in a borrowed tomb, and three days later, praise the Lord, he rose from the dead. We need to humble ourselves and recognize that we are sinners before a holy God and recognize that we need a Savior. Praise the Lord, we do have a Savior. So if you're here today and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you to make the greatest decision of your life today and be born again. We all need to be born again, whether we need to be uh, rescued from a life of sin like we talked about at the beginning of the service. Or whether you think you're a good person, look, it doesn't matter how good we are, we all fall short of God's glory, every one of us. We're all sinners in God's eyes, and we all desperately need a Savior, or we will split hell wide open when we die from this life. So we absolutely need a Savior, every one of us. But then as believers... Once we're saved, we start growing in the Christian life, and then we start looking at others. We begin comparing ourselves among ourselves, which the Bible says is not wise. We begin thinking, hey, I'm not as bad as them. I'm a good person. I go to church. By the way, that's a good thing. I hope you do go to church. <laughs> I want to encourage you to come back to church tonight. And then come back again on Wednesday night. 
and then come back again next Sunday to be faithful to the services. But that should never cause us to feel like we're better than anyone else. We need to purge our pride. How do we do that? Well, sometimes God will do that through some sacrifice that we'll experience. But another way is to get busy serving others. Get busy being a blessing without wondering how it's going to come back and bless you, but just serve. And then if you're struggling with that, just consider the example of our Savior who deserved to be served, and yet that's not why he came. He came to give his life as a ransom for many in the greatest act of service in the history of mankind. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for this time to continue our study in the book of Mark. But yes, yes, that's, I'm thankful for that. But Lord, thank you also for addressing this area of pride that is on everybody's mind as we go into this month, as we're seeing it flaunted and posted everywhere. Lord, help us instead to go a different direction, to go the direction of humility. And Lord, the truth is, it's pride is going to try to creep, creep up in each of, our li- each of our lives. And Lord, when it does, help us, Lord, to purge it by getting focused on serving others and considering your tremendous example. When you came, you didn't seek to have people honor and glorify you. So, Lord, why would we want that? Help us, Lord, instead to humbly serve those around us like you did. You were willing to do things that were unspeakable, like wash the disciples' feet. Lord, you didn't deserve to do that. Peter spoke up and said, you you don't need to be doing this. And in a sense, he was right, but... Lord, you are willing to, and I'm thankful for it. And help us, Lord, to follow your example and to be humble, to serve. Lord, sometimes when sacrifices come, help us to take inventory of our lives and, and ask the question, is there pride that needs to be removed from my life? Is that why you're allowing this? Lord, help us to be willing to humble ourselves through it all. And Lord, I pray if there's one here today that's not saved, I pray, Lord, they would come to Christ and be born again. May they humble themselves and admit their need for a Savior. And Lord, thank you for being the Savior that is there ready to save, ready to heal, ready to forgive, ready to restore and reconcile. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask Miss Pat to begin playing. And as she does, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer and decision there in your seat as God has spoken to your heart this morning.